and welcome back to Pagan Heart in Maine. I hope that everyone had a wonderful summer. We've had an interesting summer up here in Moonsong Territory, yet it's been good. On today's episode, I talk a little about the Wizard of Oz and share questions and answers from the last episode. So to start us out today, this is Stolen Fairy Tale by Winter in Eden.
Last month was the 71st anniversary of the MGM classic, The Wizard of Oz. And even though I am only 45 years old, I feel like I've seen it every year since it was made. Sometimes several times. It is a great movie, and it really is a tradition around the holidays to watch. But as the years have come and gone, my twisted little mind starts to asking questions. Things like, why the Wicked Witch of the West would have pails of water lying around, knowing that they would make her melt like an antacid tablet. And I think about how the Good Witch really wasn't good at all. She could have told Dorothy about the shoes first thing, but waited until Dorothy had done the Good Witch's dirty work. And the witch's reason for not telling her? Because Dorothy wouldn't have believed her. Now, if I was Dorothy, I would have said, Wait a minute. I just traveled in a flying house and landed on a witch whose legs shriveled up and suddenly her Nikes are on my feet. I've been serenaded by a bunch of Technicolor Oompa Loompas with a bright green Disney castle in the background and watched you float in on a soap bubble. Try me. I just might believe that if I clicked my heels, I just might take me home. And also, when I was young, I was afraid of the flying monkeys. And now I think having a bunch of flying monkeys with ground would be totally cool. But one of the things that I've been thinking about is why Dorothy was in such a hurry to get back. I mean, let's break this down a little bit. Dot lived in a 1930s Dust Bowl, Kansas, on a farm. Her neighbor wanted to kill her dog, and no one would listen to her. Now let's look at the other hand. You can live in a really neat green castle. You have a life-size color-changing My Little Pony. You have a lion for a friend. And a talking tin robot. And you don't have to worry about crows in your garden. I mean, I'll bet she had some problem with crows back in Kansas. But this scarecrow can actually run after them. And you have a whole field of poppies to take naps in. Now, I'm not endorsing opium use or any other drug use. But I'm just saying the field's there and nobody's saying anything. So what is it that made Dorothy want to possibly go back to Kansas? And of course the answer is, because that's where her family is. Now family is important, whether it's the family you were born with, or the family you make, and the friends you keep close to you. All of the friends Dorothy made reminded her of family. I think it's easy to forget how important family is until something like a tornado comes around. And I was thinking about this the past couple months because a tornado came around. We actually had a series of tornadoes and microbursts come through the area, and one of them went right through our yard. It broke off a good-sized tree branch in the side yard and tore the bolts out of our canopy right off the deck and dropped it right on my wife's car. It was quite a little storm. In less than five minutes, it was over. We went out to survey the damage, and it was a bit of a mess, but we weren't too upset. Why? Because all that got damaged was things, and things can be fixed and replaced. Nobody got hurt, and that was the most important thing. So when the tornadoes come, and they will, find your family, keep them and yourself safe, and remember that there's no place like home.
And that was Marooned on Venus by Spiral Dance. First of all, I want to thank everyone who wrote in with questions from last episode. And the hardest part of putting together this episode wasn't the answers in so much as it was how to put them in order. 
and I still don't know if I got it right, but I'll try not to bounce around too much. I also wanted to share a warning that I may be talking about a few subjects that could hit close to home for some people. Now, the most common question I had was, concerning the read, what does harm mean? And that's a big one. How I see harm is not so much as a defined answer as it is a process. Harm can mean many things, and while I can define examples of harm as I see it, to limit harm to a flat definition and to try and pin it down, well, the moment I give it a definition, someone can find a situation that would contradict it. And that's why it's so hard to define, because it constantly changes from moment to moment, situation to individual situation. So how do I actually define harm? Well, I see harm as causing injury or damage. In regards to fellow human beings, this would be actions that interrupt another's journey forward. Actions that cause another to stumble. There are questions I use when determining harm. And this involved a great degree of honesty with oneself. If you're not sure what harm means, ask yourself, would I want someone to do this to me? Now you can justify any action and just say yes, even if you know down in your heart the real answer is no, in which case why even pretend you have a read? Another question, how are my actions interfering with this person's journey and am I helping or meddling? I do think it's easier if I use situations so I'll narrow this down a bit and look at some examples you as listeners wrote in of what I'm talking about. Our first listener, who asked to be anonymous, so I'll call her Lady C, wrote, The matter of what is harm is not always cut and dried. I look at the issue of tattoos. I am for body art and believe that we should have the freedom to enjoy our physical bodies while we inhabit them. But a tattooing and piercing damages the skin tissue. Yes, it heals and looks rather striking, but is it harm? Now, I agree that the definition of harm isn't always cut and dry. As far as tattoos, I see that falling under the do-what-you-personally-will part of the read. It's a personal expression and adds to one's journey. I have a few of them myself. Any pain felt is temporary and is the choice of the individual. Any body modifications to enhance one's personal experience I don't feel qualifies as harm. One could say that just because it causes pain, it must be bad for you. But pain is necessary in life. Pain is just a feeling. It's a reaction to outside stimulus. But we need it. Pain indicates change. Pain can heal. Pain lets us know that something is different and to be alert and aware. What would happen if you didn't have pain? If you leaned against a hot stove, your body wouldn't make you aware and you'd be seriously injured. Without the pain of loss, the passing of a loved one, we would not be able to process the transition of life and relationship with those who have taken the next step in our journey. Now, as an example of what I would consider harm would be like a cutter. Someone who, because of health or mental issues, injures themselves in a destructive manner. This type of behavior holds a person back on their journey. Pain is used like a drug and holds a spirit from healing. Now, Lady C. also wrote about abortion. She writes, Abortion is another such issue. Personally, I support a woman's right to decide fate over her own body. If a woman becomes pregnant with an unwanted child, it may be harmful in the short term for her to abort, or it may harm both her life and her child in the long run. Is it more harm to destroy one life or two? 
the idea of harm, none, becomes very fuzzy. Now, abortion is definitely a subject I'd like to talk about in regards to the read. And again, this is from my personal point of view. I want to preface this with the discussion of when individual life starts. Now, religious fundamentalists say it starts before the child is conceived. Some feel it starts at conception, some at 22, 24 weeks, and some at birth. The truth is, is that nobody knows when a child is an individual spirit. When does a caterpillar in a chrysalis become a butterfly? Nobody knows the exact moment. With this in mind, I take what we do know. Mother and child are connected. There's a symbiotic relationship and they are one. The child is a part of the mother. So we look to the mother who must make the decisions for her own self. As an outsider of the situation, I see the mother and child as one entity until birth. And as such, under the read, whether she keeps or aborts is her choice. Should be supported in the safest way possible that medical science can provide. Having said that, I feel it's very sad that such choices have to be made, whether for medical reasons, whether the child is a product of violence, or any reason. It's a sad decision that has to be made by that individual. I do believe that because the energy of the mother and child is one, that when such a procedure is performed, it does injure the mother and does leave scars that may or may not heal. So when the choice is made to abort, then I feel that the mother needs to have her friends, family, and therapists to help her heal. There are consequences to every action, even if the actions are right for that individual. Lady C writes, We are at the top of the food chain. Though we can limit the amount of harm we cause, we still must eat, and there's over 6 billion human mouths to feed. I try to buy my meats and produce as local as possible, but it still must come from somewhere, and that somewhere being farms which cause widespread damage to the environment. And even at that point, the food is often trucked, flown, or shipped in because bananas and oranges just don't grow locally in Canada. And broccoli only grows three months a year. Now this point, part of this point, I want to save for a future episode. One of the subjects I'm going to talk about is energy. And energy is about change and the flow. In order for us to live, something must die, plant or animal. Now we hold a great and unique status in this world. We have the ability to change our environment. We are creators and destroyers, and this is an incredible responsibility. And this is where we have to find balance. I don't believe that we can exist without affecting our environment. As I had mentioned, for each of us to live, something must die. There's a transfer of energy. Energy is changed. We as humans can affect energy, physical, mental, and spiritual. It's a basic principle in magic. But it is how we change and use this gift that determines where one would fall in the reed. So is it right to cut down trees? Yes, with respect to the land and replacing what we take. We manage the forest and change our environment to serve our needs. But this must be done with honor and respect. And as with everything, there's always consequences when this is not done. And now I drive a tractor-trailer for a living. Not exactly the most eco-friendly business to be in. But I try to find balance in what I do to survive. I keep my equipment in top condition so I'm not burning more fuel than I need to. I shut my truck off at each stop. 
I try to be aware of my personal impact on this world that we are a part of. Sometimes following the read and being the agents of change that we, as humans, are, involves finding the balance, to live, to grow, and still exist in a way that honors the world and the people around us. And as an example of what would be against the read is clear-cutting a forest, leaving nothing for other creatures in the normal ecosystem to survive. Or trophy killing, to kill for no reason is an abomination. Respect to the land and environment is vital, and I do think that most people are so far removed from where our food comes from and what our everyday actions do to our world that this is a missing element in our modern life. Now, I come from a long line of hunters and farmers that taught all of us youngers how to treat the land and forest with the respect it deserves and to never forget where our life comes from. I think the key to incorporating something like the reed into a person's life is several fold. There's the act of becoming aware that everything we do is connected to everything else, that there is a willingness to attempt to live a lifestyle closer to the natural working of this universe instead of against it that we are capable of living an incredible life within that structure and growing and still doing what we will. The read is definitely not a fix-all, and we as humans fall short on many regards. But I do see it as a tool and a principle that, while we may never attain a perfect record, it does help in the journey. Now, Fire Mage wrote, Does Andy harm none literally mean that you never cause harm to anyone else? If that was the case, a doctor would never operate as he's causing harm in order to cure a patient. Of course, overall, he is doing good. That would infer that doing some harm for the greater good is okay. But where would you draw the line? What level of harm is acceptable? Now, this goes back to what is harm. Is what a doctor doing helping the patient forward? Doctors hold a separate code as well to do no harm. This is a situation where what appears to be harmful is helping the patient. If you look at our current cures for battling cancer, it involves poisoning our bodies. And again, it involves balance. Too much poison and the person dies. And again, before the procedure, there has to be a decision. And with that decision come consequences. Fire Mage also asked about war. War causes a lot of harm. Take the Second World War. It's generally accepted that it was necessary to combat a greater evil. But how would the Reed view it? Strictly speaking, it says cause no harm, so it was wrong. But does the end justify the means? Of course, it's down to personal morality. Am I causing harm? Well, yes, but can I justify it? In the case of the Second World War, most would say yes. But is it right? After all, some people can justify a lot more than others can, and the reed doesn't even attempt to draw any kind of line about what is right and what is wrong. All it does is put the decision with the individual, which is all well and good if they're a balanced person. What if they're not? After all, Hitler justified his actions by his own personal morality. Now, my feeling is that war falls under separate jurisdiction. The read is individual to a person. When a soldier answers a calling to serve, his will is given to the country for which he's fighting. Like a doctor, a minister, a fireman, a police officer, each hold to a higher calling than that of an everyday civilian. A soldier answers to the will of the country, and the country answers for its soldiers' actions on the field, and the consequences are magnified. I believe there are rules given by the gods of war for honor and battle, 
When an individual soldier commits atrocities beyond the service of the nation, then it falls in the individual's read. And in the case of Hitler, yes, as a nation we rely on our leaders to make the right choices concerning our country. And that doesn't always happen. Where it falls in our personal read is to try and make the right decisions of those we place in power. Hitler was placed in power and Germany followed him. The consequences of those actions is a history we as a countrymen of our own home nations cannot take for granted. Fire Mage also wrote, What do you do when both choices in a situation will cause harm? You have a neighbor who often comes around and just moan about the same issues time and time again. They never take advice and just want to have a moan before going away feeling better for having done so. This has the effect of making you feel frustrated at things never changing whatever you say or do and feeling rather down and drained when they leave. So what do you do? If you see them, you cause yourself harm, but they go away feeling better. If you refuse to see them, you save yourself from harm, but hurt their feelings and cause them harm. Either way, you cause harm, and the read offers no guidance on this as both ways go against it. You cause harm either way, and you have to choose which harm is better to cause. The read does not cover this situation. It forces you to take responsibility for your actions. Yes, but in this case, either way goes against it. How would you use the read in this issue? Now this, for me, goes back to consequence. Not yours, but theirs. I have had people in my life for whom this describes them perfectly. There are people who live in dysfunction because they choose to, or because it is all they know, and they walk around in the cloud of crisis and chaos and spread it to others. And I would say this is in line with psychic vampires who suck the energy out of others so they can continue to live in their dysfunction. So how do you handle this and still honor the read? Well, I can tell you what I, how I've handled a situation like this. So you've given advice and they haven't taken it. Next day they come back with the same crisis and start feasting on all your good energy. I have stopped them and asked literally, why are you doing this? And I don't do it accusingly, but just as a curious question, why? And it always catches them off guard. They go, huh? What? I don't understand. And I explain that this is exactly the same thing you mentioned yesterday. And then I ask if they did anything about it. And when they say no, then I say, well, you know what you need to do. And then I shield myself with those words. Every time they keep coming back with the same thing, I just repeat, well, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. Well, you know what you need to do. I remain compassionate and sympathetic to a point and when they keep repeating their dysfunction, I repeat, well, you know what you need to do. It sounds mean, but you have to prevent harm to yourself as well. And sometimes being discompassionate because someone chooses to live in their dysfunction is the best thing you can do for them under the read. By becoming their consequence, one of two things will happen. They will smarten up and change their behavior or they'll stop trying to suck the energy out of you because they already know what you're going to hear. Protecting yourself is not against the read. And I have no problem being there for people, but they have to want to get better. And it goes back to balance. Sometimes following the read means choosing between the lesser of two actions which may cause harm. 
Sometimes we as individuals are the consequence of another's action. Look at the example of a robber. If you witness someone being robbed, it's not against the read to stop the robbery or report it. You are becoming that robber's consequence for actions that are against the will of another. And sometimes you follow the read by not putting up with another person's dysfunction. And this just touches on the subject, and I'll probably expand on it as I talk about the laws of return and balance in a future episode. I think the bottom line is that following the read is not about having the attitude of doing whatever you want, and it's not about being a pacifist either. It's about making conscious decisions, keeping in mind the people environment around us, mindful of the consequences of our actions, and finding the balance and choices that help us grow while on this journey through the world.
And that was Shadow of the Moon by Blackmore's Night. And I want to give a shout-out to all the podkin out there. There's a lot of new podcasts out since my last episode, so I want to give a shout-out to several I've started listening to. There's Bo on the Go Pod Show, a pod show contemplating various sacred paths, which I just started listening to today. There's Eat My Pagan Ass, Inciting a Brouhaha, Pagan Hooligans, The Pagan Homesteader, Pennies in the Well, Raven Radio, Standing Stone and Garden Gate. And I'll have links to all of these podcasts this weekend on my website under the Podcast for the Pagan Heart button near the top of the page. I also want to give a special shout out to Heedon's Dog, who a few years ago started the Pagan Podcast Index. H Dog stepped back from the index a couple months ago, and I just wanted to say thank you for all the work indexing the Pagan Podcasts out there including mine. And a thank you to Dave over at Proud Pagan Podcasters for taking over. You can find a new home of the Pagan Podcast Index at www.paganpodcasting.org. And I'm going to call this episode 32. As always, all music here on A Pagan Heart in Maine is played with the permission of the artists. And you can find links to their websites and more at www.paganheartinmaine.com under the Musical Artist tab near the top of the page. You can also find me hanging out over on Facebook as Grey Wolf Moonsong. And to close out today's show, this is Featherscale with Hail and Farewell. Until next time, brightest blessings. That we know so well The place we'll go to return Taking there with us A bit of the spell Crafted before we'd adjourned Mary we meet Mary we part Meet again Mary and well So we declare it our parting ways Bidding you hail and farewell All the presence that shows that you care All the words said and unsaid Thanks for the laughter and sorrow we've shared Wishing safe journeys ahead Mary we meet, Mary we part Meet again, Mary and well So we declare it our parting ways Bidding you hail and farewell This journey we ride Across mountains and oceans We've gone far and wide Leaving so much unspoken 
breath on the tides And we go through the motions Just to remind Circle is open But never broken Mary we meet and Mary we part Meet again Mary and well So we declare at our parting always Bidding you hail and farewell Mary we've met, Mary we part Bidding you hail and farewell Bidding